Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Welcome to today's episode of Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. We have a real treat for you guys today. Our guest today is a German-born guitarist who has notched five and counting number one Billboard hits and over 20 top 20 hits. One of his hits, Pacific Coast Highway, has a distinction of being the most played smooth jazz song since the millennium began, which is pretty amazing you think about that. His 2021 release, Caught in the Groove, stayed at the top of the smoothjazz.com charts for over 50 weeks, making him Billboard's number one smooth jazz airplay artist of the year for 2021. His latest release is titled Cool Shades, and it's currently number one on the smoothjazz.com charts as well. Please welcome to the show, Nils. Nils, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. <laughs> pleasure is all ours. So I got to tell you, I've been listening to your music for a long time, and there's something about your music that it's like, I don't know, like even though your songs are so, your songs are diverse, but there's like this infectious groove thing that you do a great thing of capturing that like I can't listen to your music without moving some part of my body, you know? <laughs> oh, then it has to it reach the desired effect. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. So that's what you were angling for, huh? Absolutely. Reaching back in my youth, I started out listening. My first love was when I was picked up guitar was rock and roll. Uh-huh. Then I was in a band and fell apart and a friend asked me if I wanted to join a funk band and I didn't know what funk was. Yeah. Because we didn't have, I wasn't exposed to radio like we were over here back in Germany. Okay. So he brought me over to the bass player's house and he had a collection that was like five yards long of albums from Ohio players, the Commodores. Oh, yeah. And he put on some music and I lost my mind. I loved every single second of it. And it had to the point I didn't even know it had existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It resonated with me. You know, as they say, music is not a choice. It chooses you. Yeah, that's a great saying. So it was just like something that that resonated with me and that I could relate to and that I'm always strive for. So I always got to have the groove in there. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, talk to me about some of those funk bands that you liked back in the day and that you still listen to. Uh, well, still my all-time favorite is artists like Chaka Khan. Yeah. I, I just, from Rufus on, I just adored her. Yeah. And Earth Fire, of course. I, you know, I'm... I'm Lucky enough to be able to have worked with Larry Dunn. Oh, wow. And I've seen them on tour. It was just amazing. I actually had George Clinton in the house once when we produced the track. Oh, cool. But he was out there at the time. He was out in the front yard looking for the mothership. But when he was actually came in the room and laid down a beat, it was just, oh, man, (laughs) so to the point, you know. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, George is known for causing a little mayhem from time to time. George likes to have a good time, I understand. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. But Creativity and what he brings is undeniable. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Interestingly, that was the very first concert I went to as a kid was Parliament Funkadelic's Mothership Connection Tour. And I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I grew up. And they had this spaceship. That was in the rafters. And when the concert started, the ship descended down and Uh these clouds of smoke and George came down out of one of these clouds of smoke. And back in the day, they used to have those really funky costumes and stuff. Right. So 
in the audience were some of his band members in costume. They got up and got their instruments and went up on stage. It was kind of, it was the coolest thing. It was the coolest thing. Oh, they were in the audience when this trip yeah. started. Yeah, when the ship came down, some of his band members were in the audience. So, and then they got up and went on stage. It was crazy. It was weird. It was, but it was, it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. So talk to me about how your musical journey began back in Germany. Well, as I said, I got from original uh, 70s rock from Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple kind of stuff into heavily into funk music. And then another deciding factor was when I saw Steps Ahead play in the jazz club in Munich. Okay. And that was the first time I got high from just listening to somebody improvise with yeah. Michael Brown, the solo and any absolutely climax where you think you couldn't go any further. Yeah. And then modulating and it got even further out. I mean, it was just, it took me to another plane musically, but it was really an E&I opening event. So I got interested in, in jazz and then we got really into fusion. Uh-huh. Combine the different elements, the little rock, a little blues, a little funk, and and jazz together, you know, and bands like Jeff Lorber Fusion. Yep. And that we listen to, which are really the precursor of what I'm doing now. Today it's called smooth jazz. Yeah. Listen to 80s and 90s fusion music that was kind of like from Larry Carlton as a guitar player was yeah. very, the Yellow Jackets, the early Yellow Jackets albums. That That's the kind of music I was into. And that's what brought me to where I'm at today, you know. Yeah. Did you know from a young age that you wanted to be a musician? First, I wanted to be a soccer star. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then I realized you can get girls with less running around. That's a smart man there, a smart man. I mean, I was good in soccer, but I wasn't as talented. And, and the guitar was, I was getting further with that. So yeah. I kind of soccer practice for band practice and chose that a path then. And, and the rest was history, huh? So, so, I mean, you've had a long, successful career and you've continued to stay fresh and so relevant. How, what are the things that you do to like continuously work on your craft and hone your craft? Well, I listen, for one, I listen to all kinds of music. I don't listen to smooth jazz radio all the time. Yeah, yeah. I try not to sound like everybody else. I have, I don't know where it comes from, a given, you know, you can tell a God-given ability to come up with groups and melodies. Yeah. That I rely on, so I don't need to get the inspiration. I mean, you know, I do listen to some stuff too, but I try to get influences from different places. Sometimes I listen to electronic music, like bands like Massive Attack and stuff like that. Okay. Or I listen to, you know, right now I really enjoy to listen to old school R&B, but, yeah. you know, that stuff. And so that's one thing. And then as a musician, the one thing I learned when I was, I was lucky enough to do a duet with George Benson. Oh, wow. And, and when I met him, we got together. He wanted, before he agreed to do the edit with me, he didn't know me back then. And he wanted to know what I'm about. Yeah. Went up in his hotel room and, and I had asked him, what's your guitar? You know, and he brought back a $50,000 Takista jazz guitar. <laughs> puts it in my hand and sits in front of me and says, okay, play. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. So sitting with his guitar and George Benson, like... Two feet in front of me looking at my, <laughs> and after I got over the initial shock, I just started jamming. And then he said, Oh man, show me what is that lake? You know, uh -huh. and it was for what I was so flattered for one thing, but it showed me that a guy like him who, you know, forgot more than most of us will ever learn is still looking for new ideas. Yeah. And, and 
looking at new things and I took that to heart and always looked for new things to do and for new avenues, you know, to, to advance my playing. Yeah, yeah. But as my production, you know, which is a big part of it since mm-hmm. I produce my records uh, along with other artists, you know. Yeah. I want better in these skills and, and always find, it, it's not, I don't like you know, working in the cookie cutter fashion. Yeah. That every the same. I'd like to come up with things I haven't done before. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And you can really tell it in your music. I mean, I think that's a great approach to trying to keep things fresh. And I, like I was saying earlier, whenever I listen to your music, it's just infectious and it's, it's evident that you're working hard to, to keep your sound, keep evolving your sound, I should say. So now you say you, you do production work as well. Are you producing most of your work or do you produce more for, you do produce most of your work? I produce all my work. You yeah. produce all your work. Okay. So then how do you like, how, how does that work for you? Because like, it can, I, I would think that it could sometimes be really two sides of your brain, really that your musician side of your brain, your producer side of your brain. So how does that work for you? Well, my creative process is this, when I start writing, like I said, I have to come up with a new album, right? Mm-hmm. I first I go into, and I just try to write every day. Okay. Don't, I don't criticize it. I, I could be, I mean, I could come up with a country song and, yeah. and it's nothing to do with I'm going to have to do, but it's just like getting in the habit of writing every day. I yeah. would basically come up with a really cool idea every day. Yep. And then once that's done, once I give it a little time and I have a certain, you know, in the computers, we have our folders full of ideas and stuff. Yeah. I look at it and said, okay, well, this, 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 and that. Those, those would make good, you know, I can work with that and make, make that a center of a new album. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I really get into the nitty gritty of it and really file on the melody, file on the groove and all that kind of stuff. And then the production process always seems to be longer than I want because then I can get other musicians involved mm-hmm. and to edit their performances and what you had in mind and, yeah. and make it all together so it becomes a cohesive recording and presentation of the music. Okay, know? okay, okay. But it is, to me, it's not all that different. I mean, yeah, usually I leave my own guitar playing for the end. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I start with the guitar and I write, I lay down a melody and I'll basically just improvise or come up with certain things that are here in my head and lay that down yeah. so I have a guide what it's going to be. And then when I have the track or the song ready, I, I relearn what I laid down as an original idea because by that time I might've worked on 10 other songs. Yeah. So I relearn that. And then I try to replay that or re-record it. And once I have that played clean and nice, then I forget about it and say, okay, now I, I know I have the basic down. Now I just like try to improve it and see how I, I can push it even further. Got it. And more exciting. And sometimes I come up with, yeah, sometimes it can even happen that I come up with stuff that makes me rearrange the song because uh-huh. I have a play. Okay. So I like the interaction and the flexibility as a producer to go back and forth and really sculpture the whole musical piece to my liking, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, that's a cool process. So it begs the question, though, for every song that makes it onto an album, how many songs are that you created and decided that you don't, you're not going to, for whatever reason, put them on that album? Well, the ratio is, let's put it, I start with a whole big pool. Yeah. And you wear it down maybe to 15 and 12 of them make it to the album. Okay. 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 
So you on your computer and your folders, you've probably got hundreds and hundreds, if not more, of songs or or ideas for songs, right? Right. So do you ever go back and just kind of comb through and say, hey, maybe there's something in this one that I haven't touched for three years or whatever? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. For one, and it's always a time management thing. Yeah. You know, when I want to get further with, you know, if, if I see like my pool of songs is get, getting low. Yeah. Then I look through these folders and say, well, maybe I should rework this one or work this up to a certain, I'll call it client re- ready. Yeah. Because yeah, I have yeah. clients that might be looking for songs and okay. want to be able to offer them something, you know, that, that's, uh, that's competitive. Yeah. And then I'll, my next record, you know, when, when I have another, if I come up with something special, I put it in a special Niels folder for, oh, these are ideas for the next album. Uh-huh. So I do have that. And the production these days, doing it all on computers where everything is total recallable. Yeah, yeah. Very helpful in that regard because, you know, I started off still working on two-inch tape. Mm-hmm. Studios that, you know, cost a lot of money to get into and you didn't have that luxury. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, let's take a listen to one of your big hits, a song that everybody is familiar with. How about we listen to Pacific Coast Highway?
All right, everybody, that was our guest today, Nils, with his huge hit, Pacific Coast Highway. So you just walked us kind of through your your process. Is what's the favorite? Is there a favorite part of the process for you, like the ideation phase or the tweaking phase, or or are, are do you love them all? It's gotta be. Uh, it's the very beginning and the very end. Okay. Okay. The very beginning when you create a song and and you get excited about the idea. Yeah. Trying to capture that at least solid enough so you don't forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, for the whole process, I always gotta, I keep references, you know, uh-huh. like my very first, I may, I just bounce an MP3 of that first idea and I make sure later when I'm kind of like at the finishing stage and I polished everything that I didn't lose the original excitement. Uh huh. Yeah, on the original recording and sometimes i have to really catch myself said well somewhere on the way i lost something uh-huh it sounds smooth and well produced but there's something missing that got me excited about the idea in the beginning so let me go back where did that happen what yeah. element was it that that brought that in a different direction and and i try to course correct that okay you know okay Okay. And the other fun part is for me the the very end and then playing when I get to play over that track, you mm-hmm. know, and record my lead guitar. And that's fun, of course. And finally the the mix, because for mix, you know, there was a philosophy for like you shouldn't mix your own productions. Uh-huh. But I, I used to have guys like Dave Rideau mix my songs because uh-huh. he was a mixer, but I, I learned watching him what to do. And when I produce, I already have a certain sound in my head. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I acquired the skills to to create that sound sonically when I mix. Mm-hmm. And it's for me to to create that rather than to give it to somebody else. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the result might be surprising, might be good, but it might be different or it's not as good as what I had in mind. And then we need to labor and get that together. Mm-hmm. It, over the years now, I'm feeling confident enough over my mixes and now I've been mixing for other artists quite a bit. Like I've mixed Johnny Britt's record oh, and, cool. and I'm mixing film scores for my friend Catherine Bostic. That for me, that's a big part of the production in a way, because part of when I lay down certain parts, I hear where they're supposed to be in the mix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's just like finishing that. You yeah. know, otherwise would sit, have to sit there and, and labor. You know, it's just faster because I know where it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. So so we talked about your process for making music. What about your process for touring and getting on stage and taking that music to a live performance? Like, how does that all go down for you? Yeah, well, I now have, a again, an agent. And that was a big problem I had. I, when Pacific Coast Highway came out, I was, yeah. he was my first agent and, and I got big tours. And then when well, the crisis happened with the mortgage and half the radio stations went out of business yeah. and the tours were getting slimmer and, and the whole format was kind of like in distress. Mm-hmm. But I lost that connection and he was not able, you know, I lost my agent basically. And yeah. Several years, I didn't have anybody and I almost fell off the face of the earth, you mm-hmm. know. So now since the last five years, I got, I worked with a new agent, Kathy Vignol. Yeah. And she's been very good. She was new when she started, but she got really established mm-hmm. now. You, she's a hard worker and has the same ethic uh, that I have that, you know, she doesn't take no for an answer and yeah. she helps me, you know, basically get out there, get in, yeah. get in. I just did the East Coast Club tour, and now this this week I'm starting I'm playing in Vegas this weekend, then in Spagatini in Los Angeles on 
next weekend okay. and then go to play Yoshi's. So she's putting these gigs for together for me. And then the next step is really breaking to the festivals, which is, I got some here and there, mm-hmm. but, but you know, the big agents, they basically got him cornered. So if you want to have a Peter White or a big name, then then you need to book the rest of my roster, which doesn't leave a lot of room for other artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you that you're right about that. And I think some of us are like, I would like to see we have a festival in Milwaukee and I will we're trying to do things a little different. I've worked with Kathy a little bit and she is persistent and I love that about her. Right. And you're right. It's like I think there's so many great artists out there that people want to see. And right. so like, and I understand well, it. Go ahead. That's the rule. Sorry to interrupt. But no, yeah. no, you go ahead. But that, that's, that's, you know, you, I don't want to sound like a, you know, I'm happy for everybody who can be there, but, but the yeah. festivals are easier to play than the club gigs. Yeah. But there's less work and you make more money. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But I'm happy to do a club tour and you know what really helped me during COVID? I started doing a live streaming show. Oh yeah. Okay. That up, and I'm still doing a show every Saturday. Neil's live from home. If anybody's follows me on Facebook at Neil's Guitar, N I L S Guitar, six o'clock in LA time, I'm going on doing a show where I play to my Facebook audience. That's and, awesome. And a live show, unless I'm out on the road. Yeah. But that really kind of consolidated a solid fan base, and I have a much easier time now. I mean, we sold out three clubs on the East Coast. Wow. We had time yeah you know? yeah yeah well, i would have never been able to do that without having that constant exposure plus it keeps my hand on the guitar if yeah. i have to play every week it's a lot easier for me um i don't have to go back and start practicing my songs because right. I have, you know yeah yeah so, so i'm playing every week so i feel good in, in good shape and and the music is the arrangements are where i want them to be so all that kind of stuff by doing it over and over it becomes easier more natural and more fluid yeah and that really helps the live performance stuff a lot yeah i would think so and i think you you raise a great point like as as much of a drag as COVID was for everybody in the industry i think those like you who were resilient and who came up with other ways to get your music in front of people like now is the time that you should be seeing some benefits to that right like like you said you sold out on the east coast and a lot of that's due to your facebook and i know for us with our festival you know, Facebook is one of the leading ways to get the word out to people about it. And so we drive a lot of ticket sales through Facebook. So that's a great thing. So when you're, how does it make you feel when you're on stage and you're watching people or you're, you're watching people just really get into your music? Like what, where does that just cause you to like, want to take it to another level or? One thing that's missing with doing live streaming shows is I'm standing in the studio watch, watching a TV screen, yeah. I'm playing into a camera. But then now I'm really looking forward to the shows that I'm doing because if you have an audience and they're up and they're dancing, they're feeling good. And the other guys came back to me and said, man, the song you wrote for your father made me cry. Yeah, yeah. That to me is like, man, I did it. And yeah. I always, my dream was to be so good in music the music is a language and if you can to transmit my emotions to another human being yeah and if i can convey that feeling to somebody else whether it's happiness or sadness whatever it may be in a specific song 
then you achieved your goal. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that songs you've written for your father, right? So you did On Cool Shades. You did a remake of Hendrix's Hey Joe, right? (laughs) Yeah, that that was... I was watching a Hendrix documentary on Netflix. Uh And, you know, as a guitar player, I was got into it. And I got, man, I got to jam a little bit and get back in the studio. Uh And I... Up a little beat and I jammed it to him and said, Oh man, that fits great. Yeah. And I put a beat to that and it just felt good. And this, and then I had to come up with a way to do this. The challenge was the song I picked, Hey Joe, is not a good song for an instrumental. Yeah. 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 A five chord chord progression that goes over and over and over. So harmonically, it's very simple. Uh huh. And story. And if you do it instrumental, you don't have the story. Yeah. How do you do it and keep the interest, not make it, you know, you cannot play three minutes of five chords yeah. and play them over. So I kind of broke it apart and put some chord substitutions in and made it jazzier and broke it in two sections. And at the end of the day, it came out amazing. It's one of my favorite tracks to play on stage. And what I do is where I start with the original Hendrix guitar riff. I bring it further, further into jazz. Yeah. And then, and then at the end, I bring it back to the original, you know, so, so it kind of has this kind of curve in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great remake. Why don't we, why don't we take a listen to that? This is, this is our guest today, Nils, with his remake of Jimi Hendrix's Hey Joe.
Everybody just heard Nils with his remake of the Hendrix classic, Hey Joe. So I, I want to talk a little bit about your Cool Shades album, which is doing really, really well on the charts right now and your latest release. But an album you did at a challenging time in your life, huh? Yes. You know, I had during COVID, I got a call that both my parents were in the hospital. Yeah. Single child. So there's no family. Or my parents are single children, too. So yeah, okay. No- okay. <laughs> So I jumped in the next plane and flew over there. And, you know, it, my mom got back home, but she's in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. My dad's one taking care of here. And he never really got better. A few months later, he passed away. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. But the good thing is, I mean, I feel fortunate that I was able to be free enough to go over there. And be yes, with them. yes, I'm, yes. And that days with him, I don't have any regrets like, it's not like I didn't tell him I love him. And yeah. Time to have our talks. We told each other everything we need to tell each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Easier to let go in that sense, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's a huge loss. And I started writing the record during that time. Well, of course, the first thing I came up with were a whole bunch of ballads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But I didn't want the record to be a sad album, you know, especially right. after... I think most people, they're going to need something uplifting, more funky, more more fun. So I made a, a conscious effort to to write a lot of upbeat, mm. funky, or a little bit bluesy, but, you know, like try to always to evolve my style a little bit, but yeah. still in the ballpark. So so that's when the record came together. So there's a really nice mixture there of stuff. That yeah, there is. Upbeat to to relax, groovy, and and some and a couple really nice ballads. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting listening to your story. I I have a very similar story in that you know you know having lost both my parents within the span of a year, and being in a position like you said, you were able to you know fly over to Germany and be with them, and how afterwards you have no regrets. Everything was said. They knew you loved them. They you knew that you had the conversations and you had the time with them, right? And I had the same, I was fortunate enough to be in the same position when my father was being ill and when my mother was ill. And it does give you a piece and interest. It gives you just a way to go through it. And I, I love how you created your album out of that, in that time frame, but you also work consciously to not make it be an album that was sad because I'm sure that in all of that, even though it's a difficult time, it's probably a lot of, there was a lot of smiles that you can look back on now and that, that time of just being there and all the positives that your parents poured into your life over all those years. That's a beautiful thing. And that's actually how our jazz festival started. I started the jazz festival as a way to, to honor my parents who one of the second, the second to last conversation my dad had with me, he said, Son, I want you to remember to always think of others more highly than yourself. And my dad was a jazz fan and we started a jazz festival in in his and my mom's honor to have the proceeds go to charity, right? So mm-hmm. so these beautiful moments can happen out of some of these tough times in life if we find them, right? <laughs> so we have this segment, Nils, that we do on every show. It's called Bout It or Doubt It. If you're about it, it's something that you're like. And if you doubt it, it's something that you're not quite feeling. Can we twist your arm and get you to play today? Yeah. All right. Can. Let's do it. I started this body body. If you body, get him up. I mean, you body body. I mean, you body body. I doubt it. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions, Niels. Okay. And you just have to answer your question. Tell me if you like it or if you're about it, if you like it or you doubt it, if you don't like it. Okay. Now I'll get you. Okay. I'm so play some guitar for you right now. Okay. So I have to get it in first. Yeah. Okay. No, no, I don't know your game. I played the game. Okay, cool. So we're going to spin the wheel and get you a category. And then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions. Okay. Got it. All right. Got it. Cool. All right, Nils, your category is rides, okay? About it or doubt it, high-speed trains. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. I mean, I'm I'm so excited that we're finally doing something about infrastructure in this country. Yeah. Rail would be a, you know, you need alternatives to airplanes. You really do. You really do. There, there's, you could build a train from LA to Vegas where you'd be basically faster than getting on because the airport, you need to be there 40 minutes before you check it, all that stuff. And, you know, by the time you get from the airport back, the train already made it, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, it can be very competitive. Get that together and it would just really, uh, you know, also not only help kind of like the environment, so to speak, with being less pollutive. But it also would help basically people to get from A to B and, and not yeah. be so many problems with airlines being overcrowded and understaffed and yep. delays. So if there were alternatives, I think this country would do a lot better. Yeah, I, man, I, you said it perfectly. I could not agree with you more. Like, I so wish we had. I'm glad that we're doing something about infrastructure, too. And I think we should have a high speed rail network all over this country just like so many European and Asian countries have now, right? That, you know, you can get from point A to B. And the point about alternatives to flight is a fantastic point because I tell you, there's a lot of people that, you mean, the way that things are now, like airlines are so expensive, all the cancellations and delays. Like I got to imagine like for you guys, when you guys are on the road, like when you got to fly to be, to get to a gig, that's probably an added level of stress. Just not knowing if you're going to be able to get on your flight that you're supposed to get on. Right. Right, that's a main that's a main concern, especially if you have connections, you know. And, yeah. and that's there's so many things that happen during doing travel for that. And yeah. 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 So but all right. It's the only way to get to the next gig is you have to fly, you mm-hmm. know, because long to drive. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more we give them before they didn't. Yeah. You gotta be careful. The difference between a non stop and a direct flight. Yeah. 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 I booked the flight directly to Reno from Los Angeles to go to a gig. Okay. And, you know, in my book, if I go directly to your house, I don't stop by at Paul's in between. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I, the plane lands, I get off, and I wasn't in Reno by the time I realized that I was in Oakland. Oh, no. They had just a stopover, and then they flew on to Reno. Yeah. And I got off at the wrong stop. Now on a bus, that's not a big deal, but on a plane, if you get on the uh, off at the wrong uh, place, oh yeah, was away. I had to rent a car because the next plane was not till the evening. Would have missed my gig. Ah, uh, rent a car and call somebody to get my luggage and meet them up and drive for four, five hours and, and uh, I barely made it. But I did make it just in time for the show. Wow! Wow! <laughs> But those are the things that can happen. Yeah, you know, so. no doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. One more question for you. Doubt it or doubt it. Commercial spaceships. Commercial spaceships. I'm a science freak, so I like it, but I'm really a big in importance to me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
think it's a big, eventually, I, I like the idea that humankind is expanding. Mm-hmm. And I think the more, the one thing that I get from people who go up in space, they all will come back and look at the world as more of a unified place. Yeah, which is a good thing. You, if they look from, from way above onto one planet and, and maybe the world help to change some minds and people be able to get more peaceful together. So furthering that way of thinking is a positive thing. So, and so put me in about it category on that one. Yeah. Good, 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 good. All right. Well, so if you could spend a day with any musician living or dead, who would mm-hmm. you choose to spend a day with and why? Oh God, let me think about that. Well, well, there is, as I said, Chaka Khan is on my bucket list. Yeah. I would work with her or, or do something with her. So that would be definitely. Yeah. One. Other than that, maybe Miles Davis. Yeah. Interesting figure, you know. Yeah. It'd be great to hang with him for a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to a friend. Hendrix, of course. Yeah. Yeah. The guitar player got a there you some go. Of there, yeah, those are all pretty good. I was talking to a friend the other well, a little while back, who's she said that I didn't know this about her. She was telling me that her dad used to be in Miles Davis's band. He used to be Miles's musical director, and she says she's got boxes and boxes of stuff that her dad gave her from working with Miles. So, and I'm like, and she's like, I just put it in the garage, and I'm like, oh my gosh. You can't do that. You have to go through that stuff. There's probably something in there that's really, really important for the world, you know? So I think he's one that a lot of people would want to spend some time with. So if you weren't doing music for a living, Niels, what do you think you'd be doing? God, I'm at a loss. Okay. Okay. I would say, you know, about, which is funny because like people ask me, what do you do for relaxation? Yeah. Well, I might just go and play guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. And without the work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not working on a project or mixing something for a client. I just play for enjoyment or something. Yeah. It's really hard for me to imagine any other field that I would, you know, have the same energy for. for, uh-huh. for thing about music is that I... It doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 40 hours. What is it? I work every day. Yeah. From up to going to sleep on weekends. I mean, I force myself once in a while to take a Sunday off. Uh-huh. Mitch. Yeah. Other than that, you know, there's no other job that I could see where I would have that same enthusiasm for and persistence for and still feel fulfilled and happy with. You know? Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, and I think it's a great thing when... You know, your your craft can be your hobby as well. Like, I think you're right about, like, the key is having the energy for it and the drive to continue to do it. I had I, I had a musician say to me once that I'll do this all day, every day for the rest of my life until I just don't have music anymore, right? And that's a pretty cool thing to have something that you love that much. Yeah. And I feel the same way. I mean, it's a weird thing. I always had music in my head, even as a kid, you know, I was, was imagining a soundtrack, even if we drove down in the car to a friend's house or something. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, That's cool. So what is something that you you think your fans would be surprised to learn about you? God, that I'm not really a jazz musician. 
Okay. Okay. Break that down for us. I, I said always I'm a rock guitar player who learned too much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just finished last year, I produced a, a rock and roll record with the artist Eileen Arden. Okay. Who's just, he has a voice like Adele. Oh. You know, Jeff Bennett or somewhere in that, that range. And she, and, and it was a lot of fun to really going back to my early, early roots and to really rock out with that. Uh-huh. I, I learned over the years to play a lot of different styles and I'm okay. very happy with what I do. Um, on the jazz thing, but I never, I can, did not come up from the traditional jazz. I learned traditional jazz when it came to the States in school and learned to play standards. Sure. I'm certainly not a bebop player. If you put me on stage and want me to play giant steps, I yeah. would be locked. Yeah. 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 Know? Yeah. I'm not pretending to do that. And, and even though I could play it for some standards, it's not really what I do naturally. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but they call me a jazz guitar player all the time, you know. Yeah, and sometimes I think, man, you know, I'm a fraud because I to me like Wynton Marsalis, David Miles Davis, those guys are really jazz guitar, jazz play, not guitar players, jazz players. Yeah, Joe Pass or somebody like that, you know. But I'm just bringing in a little jazz in in the little blues and the little R&B. Yeah, and, yeah. And they use a jazzy tone and and created my own style that way. Yeah. But that's one of the things I love about jazz. It is a big bucket, right? It's a big bucket. And it and it it makes room for a lot of different styles, I think. Yeah, and and I think that's the big lesson music in general. Mm Even even your uh, audience have a much wider spectrum of what they like than what some radio stations might you want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Thing when we talked about that crisis that contemporary jazz was in maybe mm-hmm. 20 when all the radio stations went out of business and yeah. broadcast picture was the only thing providing one programming and everybody had to sound the same yep. in order to that program yeah it became so homogenous that it got boring yeah and it became a downward spiral you know and i think internet radio kind of saved us because it allowed people with different views and different styles to get back into the mix and and to have some guys who are more jazzy some other guys who are more r&b influenced and some with yeah. more of a blue friends come together on the same program makes it more interesting whether it's a festival or uh, a radio station absolutely know? absolutely no doubt about it great because you get different influences your different ideas come together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that makes it better for everybody you're absolutely right so, Nils, what advice would you give your 13-year-old self about life? Find what you like, what you like, and and just pursue it to 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 the best of your abilities. Okay. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, just, just keep going. Go for it. Basically. Yeah. 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 Tell yourself. I think you know, that took, took me a long time to be. I grew up. I, I remember many days where mom was telling well you're not really a musician you don't sing you don't you know you're not classically trained that kind of uh-huh. stuff uh-huh. then when i went came over here to study the there were certain moments key moments but when you study and you progress as a musician you have these platforms that you hit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're learning something new you're all excited about, oh man i got all this new stuff under my fingers and then becomes boring you kind of repeat yourself and you kind of and in, in, in those plat in those plateaus that came up for in the back of my man, my mind, my mom saying, "Man, you're not really a proper musician, so to yeah, speak." Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But there was one key moment in one school where I where I studied composition arrangement and, and I, I, I wrote an arrangement on Night in Tunisia. Yeah. Based a little bit on Chaka Khan's version. Uh-huh. Or Big Band. Yeah. And I completed it. And, and the way it came back, it was just unbelievable. The whole band stood up and gave me a standing ovation. That's cool. And I knew at that point that I got it. That feeling never came back since that day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I was in the right path and this was my calling. You know? Good for you. Good for you. And I think that's such great advice. Find what you love, right? Because uh, everything else, everything else falls into place after that. Yeah. And, and it, that's what you spend your life doing. You got to be happy with it. That's Otherwise, right. you're living a miserable life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, such great advice. Such great advice. Well, let's take a listen to one more song of yours. This one is Night in Algarve.
right, everybody, that was today's guest, Nils, with his brand new single, Night in Algarve. And so I love, there's a couple questions I like to ask all of our guests. One of them is, can you tell us your three favorite albums of all time? Yeah. Earth, Wind, Fire, the best of Earth, Wind, Fire album. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Yeah. And then, God, then it gets tricky. I'll probably change my mind all the time. Uh huh. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you kind of, what, what do I feel like? I got to look at it. It's weird though. We, we lost a little bit the whole album mentality, unfortunately. Yeah. Through the, yeah. I was, uh, to me, a, a very important album was probably Sleepwalk also from Larry Carlton. Oh, yeah. That's a great album. It's something that, or oh God, Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. I remember K19, the yeah. first, uh, I wore it out. I mean, I had to listen to just the way he bent that guitar. It was that perfect bend and timing, how the song started. I wore it so, I mean, I had to buy the record three times because, you know, it was the wow. Putting the needle down after three, four times, you get a scratch. And uh-huh, uh-huh. Buy it again so I could hear it again. Those are some great albums, though. Those are some fantastic albums, though. And yeah, it's like, and such, and, and love the diversity of those, too. Then the other question that I love to ask all of our guests, you're having a dinner party. You can invite any any three people, living or deceased. Who's coming to your dinner party and what are you serving? Well, I would love to have dinner with Barack Obama. Yes, yes. That would be interesting. Again, I would probably go back to the, like a Miles Davis. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, with, with what we're serving, that's a lot harder. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> I mean, I don't know what these people like. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, so I would feel that out, but it would, the main thing that I would be interested in is less the food than, than the conversation. Yeah. No doubt. No so doubt. Like, uh, like maybe like Einstein or somebody like, yeah. It, it, and as my third person. And you have a musician, a president, and a, a scientist. That's a pretty uh, good combination. I don't think it would be interesting to food at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love to ask that question because I think one of the coolest things in life that I've experienced is coming together with different people and breaking bread. Because there's something about doing that communal thing together, that basic thing, that thing that gives us all, that we all need for sustenance, but doing it with different people that, I don't know. I think it relaxes people. It opens people up a little bit. And I've never gone to a dinner party that where I haven't had fun. Never. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. So tell us, Nils, what the rest of the year holds for you. What else do you have going on this year? Well, I'm going to finish the few West Coast states I have right now. Then I'm going to fly to, to take care of my mom real quick in Munich. Mm-hmm. For a few weeks, and then I kind of come back, and I hope Kathy comes out with a few more tour dates for myself. Great, some concerts and venues. I'm already starting on the next record. Great, I keep working on the music. I'm also I recorded a live concert in in October. Uh huh. Oh, that'll be cool. For mixing, so I want to put that together. You know, we recorded with five cameras, and wow, in just a club recording, but it, it turned out really nice. It was That's a lot of fun. cool birthday concert so it's a kind of special meeting for me there and we played really well yeah that'll be was, fun that'll uh, be fun and there, you know there's always and then i have i have like five other album projects that i'm working on right now with different artists wow so you're a busy man yeah you're a busy uh, man 
That's a good thing. Of course. I was kind of figure what what do I feel like getting into today, you know? Yeah, yeah. All good. Well, Nils, I want to thank you, man, given your busy schedule and all you got going on. I want to thank you for taking some time to to chat with us today, man. And we really appreciate your time and we look forward to more music from you and wish you nothing but continued success. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on and I hope you guys have me come up to, to Milwaukee these days again. We would love to. We would love to. So thanks again for being on today. I'm a mutual. All right. Everybody wants to follow me, Nils Guitar, and you'll find me there. Fantastic. All right. Everybody, be sure to check him out. Go to his website, follow him on social media, and get a chance to go see this man live. He is a fantastic guitar player. I also want to let you know about our 2023 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival. That's going to be taking place August 25th and 26th at the Paps Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This year's lineup features 19-time Grammy nominee and a gentleman we just talked about a little bit, Larry Carlton, Paul Brown, Julian Vaughn, Rick Braun, Lynn Roundtree, Lindsey Webster, Ali Silk, Jeff Ryan, and more. Get your tickets now at freshcoastjazz.com, and thanks for listening today. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage.